0: But I, don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should've always won. or. But I really gave it my all, so that for me is enough.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Season 9, first Slam Preview episode, let's go. The Australian Open starts on Monday. Sunday? Sun? Well, Monday in Australia, Oh, Sunday here. The time change, how many years have we we've been watching this tournament? Like 30? And I still cannot figure out the time difference.
0: It has not been 30 years. <laughs> well,
1: that's true. <laughs> not for me at least. First order of business, GoFundMe update, we
0: are at 99.67% of our goal. At
1: some point during this recording, it's feasible we will have hit our target. It's been really incredible. We're exceedingly grateful. Mm -hmm.
0: As with our previous campaigns, we will leave it open until the end of the Australian Open. We will cease to promote it on Twitter. That's what we do. When we hit the goal, we just... Stop talking about it there. We're t- we're very <laughs> mindful
1: of clogging up your timelines. Yes, I, we would much prefer to use our social media for um, things that are maybe more interesting to the tennis discussion. Rather
0: like- than the beggy-beggy business, which you hand them long out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you didn't hear last episode, uh, we did uh, at one point have some gift levels up on the website that is not strictly allowed by gofundme it was deleted however don't tell anyone but if you did donate 75 dollars, we would like to send you a postcard we will continue to honor that uh if you would like a postcard from us please send your address with bookmarks and bookmarks new bookmarks too new designs if we have your address already do us a favor and just send us a quick note and uh, and confirm that you haven't moved.
0: This goes for folks who've donated at the 150 and 250 tiers as well. Send us your address,
1: please. Now on to the meat of the episode. Naomi Osaka, let's start there. In the space of a week, Naomi announced that Anshabur was joining her agency, that she was withdrawing from the Australian Open, and finally, that she is pregnant. One of those stuck out. Uh, one of those was a bit more surprising than the others. To me, I was shocked. I know you said you you weren't shocked. I know you are unshockable. No, you, are, you are
0: misrepresenting this. <laughs> you woke up the next day, the day of the announcement, and you were just all over the place, just beside yourself. Like, this is crazy. How did this happen? I can't believe it. Well, you I, never, blah, 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 I do. I do understand how it happens. Just... To assure you. <laughs> right. And you said to me, what, you're not shocked? And my simple answer to that was no. I'm not out here carrying on like, well, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I feel
1: like that's how you're misrepresenting me right now. Fair enough. I uh, I was just surprised. Naomi's a millennial. She's, what, 25? It's a little young for, for people... Uh, in our generation, she's to be clear, she's barely in our generation at this point. She is but... not at all in our generation. <laughs> it's young for a professional athlete. It's also uh, coming on the backs of another round of discourse about Naomi's future in the game, her commitment. A Jonathan Liu piece about quiet quitting. That is that
0: why that was all over my timeline. Yes. I
1: kept seeing people
0: refer to quiet quitting. Not specifically about Naomi, always. I feel like that just dominated two days of my life yeah. on, on so Twitter. Yeah, that's,
1: so that's what it was. And I, I normally really enjoy his writing. I wasn't a huge fan of this piece because I felt, even before, even before the pregnancy announcement, I felt that it made a lot of assumptions. To me, it was a bit of a kind of a belabored comparison to what they call quiet quitting in a more traditional workplace. Kind of just punching in, punching out, doing the bare minimum to stay employed, and slowly exiting. I didn't think there was enough evidence to say that Naomi was doing that. You know, Naomi had an Achilles injury. Yeah, she played the US Open. She hasn't been dominant for quite a while. But I didn't think that meant she was ghosting tennis, or she was in the process of doing so. I saw a lot of takes
0: over the last few weeks about what's going on with Miss Osaka. And I just sat there and kept my mouth shut. (laughs) Because even though I do have a tennis podcast, it's none of my business to be speculating on what's going on in her personal life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've taken the stance, I know I have, that we'll take our cues from her when she's back, when she's ramping up tennis activity again, then we can get back into that talk you know right. in the meantime i'm here to talk about the stuff that she's doing that i don't like namely the association with Nick that curious. other 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 guy
1: <laughs> i mean you even said on the last episode of this show that if naomi's happy you're happy that if if she comes back to tennis and plays the australian we're happy if she doesn't we're happy if as long as it's what she wants to do it's fine i think i'm more of
0: the opinion where I just don't
1: have an opinion. It's not well, that, because it's not that so I'm happy
0: if she's happy. That's well, no, her business.
1: I, I think we literally said that last really? time. Well, maybe I've evolved further. No, I mean, if let's say she in the future chose to evolve away from tennis and that was the right thing for her, then that's the right thing, period. Yes. Right? That is all moot because she said, hey, I'm having a baby. I really want to return to the tour in 2024. You'll see me. At next year's Australian Open. And of course, you know, pregnancy and childbirth is a very uh, unpredictable thing. So we hope that she will be back at the Australian if that's what she wants to do. That threw me for a loop when she said she's coming back in 2024.
0: I'm like, two years. (laughs) I'm still not adjusted to this being 2023, clearly. And this also came very shortly after Ash Barty announced that she too is having a baby. I mean, that was on the agenda. We haven't talked about it on the show previously, and we just had an episode. So, like, here comes Naomi. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that just happened. Yeah, it just Ash happened. announcement. So we had Naomi Osaka and Ash Barty, both in their mid-20s, both players who we hoped and a lot of people expected to dominate women's tennis for the next half a decade, at least, and to form that rivalry that everybody has been clamoring for. Like, these were the two young women who were supposed to do it. And at the moment, Ash Barty is retired and they're both pregnant. <laughs> the, the landscape of women's tennis has changed so drastically in the last couple of years. It looks nothing like you'd have remembered it looking when Wozniaki was winning the Australian Open. And that's what—just five years ago.
1: Yeah, in previous eras, there there have been clear handoffs between generations. When Navratilova and Evert were slowing and getting close to retirement, Steffi was already there. Right, Steffi was winning her Grand Slam in '88. When Steffi Graf wins Roland Garros in '99, shockingly retires from the sport. Serena wins the very next slam after Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Venus and Serena, Justine, like, the next generation is ready. We're in a uncharted territory with women's tennis. It could be the IGA era, and it has been for a while, but it wasn't a clear handoff between goats. You know what I mean?
0: Right, but see, I push back against that again because it's a convenient narrative because we won't know until we have hindsight. that's
1: true. We didn't know. So in 10,
0: 15 years... When Iga's retired and there's some new crop of Czech champions, most likely, we look back and say, wow, Ash went away and Iga just ran away with it. Clean, clear cut,
1: handing off,
0: exchange mm-hmm. of the baton.
1: My point is that there was no handoff from Serena Goat to anybody else. Not Iga, not Ash. That's just how it is. We're in a, a strange new world here. As far as Naomi's pregnancy announcement, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Like, for the rest of her pregnancy, that shit is her business completely. I will only talk about things that she brings to the public
0: sphere. What I do enjoy, though, is all these people who are out of pocket online, in print, on air, talking all kinds of mess, and now they're either quiet or having to walk it back or pretend it didn't happen.
1: I'm a very avid screenshotter, so there's only so much pretending that certain people can do. Ash also recently released a memoir. She talks in the book about uh, when she took over number one, a lot of people in the press said, well, it kind of feels like Naomi deserves it, right? She won the US Open and the Australian Open back to back during the COVID pandemic, which is still going on, by the way, and not a week. After Ash Barty announced her own pregnancy, here's Naomi overshadowing her again. (laughs) It's not, like, it's not that serious. It's just, it was a little funny to me. This Australian Open is rolling around really quickly without its defending champion. Last year, Ash won in a dominant fashion. We have a dominant number one who just lost last week to Jesse Begula. Uh, we're in such a different era than we were just 12 months ago. Yeah, and we're a stone's throw away
0: from uh Veronica Kudomir supremacy. <laughs> Let's get messy. Well, it's not us. Messy, 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 messy. That you sound have... you hear, the slithering, the hissing, that is Craig Tiley making his way through Melbourne Park.
1: <laughs> you posed this question here to me. What almighty mess... Will Craig get into or orchestrate this Australian Open? Well, it's funny you should ask. Well, because the subsequent days,
0: he started filling out in paragraphs I mean, the answer to that question.
1: I've numbered them here, and I have four so far. The first is that Tiley confirmed that players will not be tested for COVID-19, nor will they have to report positive COVID cases. The tournament does advise or recommends that players who are unwell do not participate. Now, to be clear, this was the same policy at Wimbledon. This is not new. It still sucks, but it's not new. And some, I gather that
0: it happened with the Australian cricket team, that's how they were operating as well. It seems money has spoken, and this is the way that sport, professional sport, is going to proceed. What I don't accept is the fact that you are allowed ethically and sanctioned by the tournament to test positive and knowingly play and there be no repercussions. That, that doesn't sit right with me.
1: Because I always feel like a, a tournament body always has the rights, and I could be wrong in Australia, but I feel like they have the right to install more rigorous and stricter rules than the local governments, right? I At least in Canada, workplaces are allowed to do that. As long as the reasons are not discriminatory, it doesn't violate employment law to be more rigorous than local governments. We're not requiring vaccines. It's only that players who have tested positive can't play. It's It's the bare minimum. Literally the bare minimum. Literally. And if you're somebody who would test positive, let's say you test positive on a rapid test, which aren't super sensitive. So chances are, if you're early in your illness and you test positive on a rapid test, you are contagious. If you would willingly and happily go out and play tennis without a mask, interact with people, and not really care whether or not you gave them COVID, that's deeply antisocial behavior. And I, can't, I really can't believe we're still talking about this after three years. I know that Joe Biden said the pandemic is over, but I keep hearing about the Kraken variant. I uh, have known many, many, many people in my life who've had COVID, who experienced it much worse than a cold or a flu? We know that it wreaks havoc on one's immune system. Months later, there's still so so much we don't know about this disease. It's it's so wild to me.
0: We don't even have to get into all of that.
1: It just really pisses me off.
0: It just yes, all of that, but that's a losing
1: battle. That battle has long been lost. You're for right. people like I, us. I don't have. To, I'm not trying to convince you to get the vaccine or whatever. What I'm saying is that a a tournament body that is professing to have the players' health and safety in mind, which they always do, it's not usually demonstrated in Australia, as you can see the past however many decades with wildfires and the heat and all that. Which they always say. Right. But if you're saying you care about players' health and safety, you can't also have a policy like this. And then to say we
0: recommend that players
1: essentially take
0: themselves out of the conversation. Not in the Belinda Bencic kind of way. But, you know, to say, well, I'm positive, I'm not going to play. And to rely on that, mm-hmm. that is wild. Because yeah. we, you all know people. You live in this world. You see how people have been behaving. A few players did pull out uh, Wimbledon because they tested positive. Berrettini was one of them. It does happen. It does happen. I mean, those could have been very symptomatic people who Mm -hmm. could not play, you know? What about the people who, well, I mean, if you're not symptomatic, there's no way these people are testing. (laughs) At this point, no. There's no way. The point is to rely on people to be socially aware, and as you say, not antisocial, that's just not going
1: to happen. It's not going to happen. Enough tennis players have shown that they have very little uh, investment in the social contract, shall we say. Camila Georgi, who is in the draw, is currently being investigated by her government back home for faking a vaccine passport. So she hasn't been convicted; just investigated. I saw
0: her in the draw, and I'm like, did the entire syndicate make it through customs and immigration? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, is she even gonna be there once the tournament starts? Maybe she just hasn't withdrawn yet. Maybe. Maybe she's in a holding cell somewhere, and we don't know yet. <laughs> wow.
1: The number two mess that I have here is the boo ban. I came across this ban on booing. Is this, is this a real thing? Apparently it is a real thing. I am not going to pay for the Herald Sun, so I did not get it from the original source. It's a locked article. I saw it on Channel 7 News in Melbourne. It was also reported by Sports Illustrated in the U.S. that Craig Tiley has said that he will not tolerate fans booing Novak Djokovic. Now, what is unclear to me, because I didn't read the Herald Sun article, is whether this is a ban on booing all players. And if it is, Craig needs to get much, much better at communicating that. Tylee said, quote, If they disrupt the enjoyment of anyone else, boom, they're out. We don't want them on site. They can stay away or we will kick them out. Now, I don't think booing in general is a very nice thing to do. However, I've never heard of this. I've never it, I've never heard any tournament in any sport say booing was a punishable offense.
0: Right, but would it be deserved in this instance? Well, there'd be fewer you'd be hard-pressed to find cases that would
1: warrant it more. <laughs> now, that's a conversation that Craig Tylee doesn't want to have and cannot have. My take on this is that booing Novak Djokovic is a direct rebuke of Craig Tyler. And that's why this rule is in place, because booing Novak is booing the incredibly irresponsible and sloppy actions of Craig Tiley last year. Which he was not made to answer for. He, I mean, in front of reporters, he said he wouldn't talk about it a mere what? It was like two days later. Yeah, He's not been made to answer for it it still.
0: That's an important part that you just mentioned, because it's not just about Djokovic. This is also self-serving
1: absolutely self-serving. I don't even think it's about Novak. I think the entire ordeal that was largely uh, authored by Craig Tiley was a real humiliation for him. He humiliated his friend, Novak Djokovic, but it was also a humiliation for him. It should have been probably the end of his tenure at Tennis Australia, but it wasn't. But coming out and legislating this essentially is an unfathomable ego trip.
0: I never expected Novak to come to Australia contrite. That was not something I even dreamt would happen. What I would have hoped to have happened at the very least was for him to show up and just go about his business. Instead, what what it seems that we're getting is chip-on-the-shoulder Novak, which is a choice, given everything that happened a year before.
1: When you're so convinced that you're morally certain like you're morally right, you're on the right side of history, when you're convinced of that, who's going to tell you different? This is very clearly the Novak Djokovic resentment tour. I'm trying to imagine a scenario where another tournament director or Tiley himself would directly address booing another player. What if he said this year it's against the rules to boo Daniel Medvedev because you gave him such a hard time last year? That, that would never happen. It's not going to happen. It would come off as unfair. Right to other players. Uh, imagine if Judicelli at Roland Garros said, uh, we know Naomi said she doesn't want to do press conferences, but if you boo her, don't tempt me, you'll be thrown out. What if Tylee said the same thing about Serena after the U.S. Open fines in 2009? Don't boo her or you'll be thrown out. This would never happen because it's purely ego-driven from him.
0: The other things that Tylee has done pertain to cash grabs, blatant, bold-faced cash grabs. They've started ticketing player practices, and this was announced initially with a special practice match. For $20, you can watch Novak Djokovic play Nick Kyrgios.
1: (laughs) They announced the event first, and then shortly after, they announced that the money... Hey guys, don't worry, the money is actually going to charity. We're not going to keep the money. But now, what is, what is the charity? The, well, it is a foundation that Tennis Australia runs mm. for their youth programs. I don't know a lot about the foundation. I'm sure it's a good cause, but it does they've kept it really close to home, shall we say. There's no doubt that that there is immense fan interest in something like this. Well, Nick claims that the thing was sold out right away. I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if mm. this was Sold out. It's super cheap. You get to see one of the GOATs plus Nick Kyrgios play a practice match in Rod Laver Arena for 20 bucks. Sure, of course. Tons of people are going to buy this ticket.
0: It has sold out. Oh, okay. And then Kyrgios, of course, took to Twitter and said, Quote, wow, Nick Kyrgios is bad for the sport. Wow, what a disgrace. A national embarrassment. How dare he sell out another stadium. The Arrogance.
1: Like... What a miserable way to live, isn't it?
0: But we are rational thinking human beings. That's why it would,
1: it would be miserable
0: for us. But for him, this no, is I, a victory.
1: How miserable do you have to be to constantly tweet things like this? Do you feel like you're a secure person?
0: No, but 2023 has been set up to be the Nick Kyrgios victim tour. The Nick Kyrgios redemption tour. Those two will go hand in hand where he will play the victim publicly and have Netflix and everybody else do the work of rehabilitating him.
1: That's I mean that I understand. I'm just saying nobody tweets something like that without a lot of hurt in it.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm <laughs> multiple things can be true. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I uh I worry about with this sort of paid exhibition is that they found something that is normally free. The, the Qualifying Week, the, the Practice Week, normally free or very cheap, and they found a way to monetize it. They've turned it into another source of value. And so I, I'm sure the two players involved have been rewarded handsomely. However, it does make me uncomfortable that you've found another way to extract a value from players when they're just trying to prepare for a really important tournament, and so these two players said yes, and maybe it's in their best interest, maybe it's not. But we know that tennis players, because they know their careers are limited, often say yes to things that are probably against their their best interests. They extend their seasons for a lot of money. That doesn't mean like it's it's a good thing for their careers or their bodies. Uh, it just shows like it's never enough. Right, having that free week of practices for for fans to see is really great for fans. But if you found another source of value to monetize, like well, there it is. And I think that toothpaste is hard to put back in the tube.
0: No, it's, it's never going to change. And the thing that's jarring about it for a lot of people, and I saw a lot of folks talk about this on Twitter, is that this was billed as the Happy Slam. This has a long history, the Australian Open, of being the fan-friendly slam. And now, increasingly, year after year, Craig Tiley is wringing as much out of fans' pockets as he can. And where is that money going? We don't know. All we get kept being told is that there is this fear that we are going to lose the Australian Open. If we don't do this, that, and that, if we don't maximize profits, if we don't do this, we could lose the Australian Open to China. We could lose it from Melbourne to another to another city, and this is the same thing that he keeps telling us year after year after year,
1: and he's getting away with it. But we don't we don't actually have the evidence. It's committed to Melbourne for the next two decades at least. Uh, Tennis Australia does have to release financial statements, and they're doing okay. Like they're not <laughs> uh, they're not going to go bankrupt. They do accept a lot of public money and so like this fear-mongering every year that Asia could steal the Grand Slam from Melbourne is not founded at least not not yet
0: it's really to justify the public funds really right and I well I think I want to say here that if you're on Twitter and you don't follow plucky loser you should know that she is year-round an indispensable part of tennis Twitter but especially in January during the Australian summer. Pretty much this entire first segment of this episode, these are things that Frith has been talking about on her timeline and probably better than us on this show.
1: <laughs> right. She has a lot of local Australian knowledge, more in-depth knowledge about Tennis Australia and Craig. And So yeah, definitely wanted to plug her before we carry on. She's probably super embarrassed that we did, but I would like to acknowledge our sources. And the final bit of mess, the second bit of scammery, is the Australian Open NFTs. (laughs) You know what's funny to me is like, in this climate, the climate was very different a year ago for NFTs and crypto. What what does it stand for? No fungus on your toes? Hilarious. That's such a dad joke. Non-fungible tokens. But last year, I I feel the environment was way more hospitable to NFTs and crypto. Uh, This year... It's a bit different. A lot of people feel like it's a scam. Last year, they launched this AO Artball collection of NFTs. They sold almost 7,000. At the time, they were priced at 0.067 Ethereum, which was equivalent to 278 Australian dollars. Since then, those NFTs that people purchased are now worth half what the purchase price was. The senior manager of metaverse nfts web3 and cryptocurrency for tennis australia do you think wimbledon has one of those it, i mean the, the job title is really taking me out this guy said we're we're not concerned about short-term fluctuations in the market quote the market is having its challenges uh so the uh the 2023 art ball collection is out and it's actually going to cost more than it did last year even though the returns on last year's NFTs are really bad.
0: This is the best example of why we say that these are just bold-faced cash grabs. Because nobody thinks NFTs are a good idea anymore.
1: Hey, a lot of of professional tennis players do.
0: Well, they're scammers as well.
1: (laughs) To be fair, this year they have tied the NFTs to things that have actual value, which are... Uh, membership in a Discord, which provides education about NFTs. That one is explain debatable. what a that Discord one is, is. I don't think that I can explain. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying there a Discord like I know we don't really understand it, so I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who don't. I feel like it's kind of like a Slack channel. I don't know. That's what how I, that's is. how I would describe it. Okay. All right. Well, I most of the people listening will. Okay. Even if you don't. Okay. If you purchase one of these things, you'll also be entered into this rewards program that offers grounds passes to some people. Um, They provide access to certain United Cup matches. These are things that have actual value, aside from the token itself.
0: Right, but the the response to last year's NFTs being worth half of what they were is to then double the price. (laughs) I guess so that when that... (laughs) Loses half its value. It's the original yeah. value of last... I, like I, don't I guess understand.
1: they've made it like sort of an Amex rewards program. You know, you get to be part of this exclusive club that has some tangible benefits. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're wrong and uh, right. people are going to make if this a were, whole shitload of money. If this were a
0: one-off thing, you could grant some grace. But this is one in a, a sequence of many cash grabs that Slytherin Craig has orchestrated. At what's, the Australian
1: Open. What's really funny to me is that there are actually professional tennis players who've been named in lawsuits over the... Um, I forgot the... Some ex-Sam Bankman Freed's company that's gone under... Naomi is being sued, isn't yes. she? Well, I don't know if she still is, but she was named in a lawsuit. The next order of business on the agenda, three years, two
0: and a half years after its formation, we have some movement on the
1: structural organizing of the PTPA. The Professional Tennis Players Association has announced its executive committee, an eight-member body, and there were a few surprises. Those being Anshabur, Paula Bedosa, Hubert Hercotch.
0: Why are they surprising to you?
1: Because they're top players. I'm not being shady, I'm just being frank.
0: So you expected it to just be a flop? You didn't expect anything to what? come of this?
1: No, I didn't. I did not say that. Definitely did not say that. I was surprised, especially by the top women players who signed on why uh i guess i th- i kind of assumed that a lot of the women would be cautiously optimistic like would kind of wait to see what came of this organization before signing on as part of the executive committee to me it felt that a lot of the wta players were less overtly political and less willing to organize independently than a lot of their male counterparts. Or possibly just happier with the state of things on the WTA Players Council. I don't know. The other members are Zhang Sai Sai, of course Djokovic, Pospisil, and Isner, and Bethany Maddox-Sands. And you know I'm just going to shut my mouth about that last one. The PDPA has been more clear about what it hopes to achieve. They've listed five core tenets a number of principles that are guiding them listen wh- <laughs> i think where i am with this is that we we spend so much time on this podcast and have over the past however many years saying that like tennis leadership is not that great right that the governance structure is confusing it's probably not getting four players what players deserve there needs to be more transparency more understanding more, uh, basically, better deals for players. And PTPA has come around and said, we're going to do that. Now, what's held us back is that we just, I guess, haven't been convinced so far that those are the people who are going to do that. They do have an executive director, Inamad Nassar, who has experience in this sort of thing, has run an organization that worked with uh, the NFLPA, the NHLPA, in sort of leveraging players as a collective, and getting better commercial deals for the players. Now, those are, of course, sports that have unions. Tennis doesn't have any unions. And so I'm still, like, it's still a bit unclear to me what this organization is. They said, or Nassar said, that one of the deal breakers for him was that all players are included whether or not they choose to sign up for this organization or not. They will still fight on their behalf. He also said that women must be included or that was a deal breaker for him, and that the PTPA does not replace the players' councils.
0: The thing that's most pressing for me to know is, given the insistence on the inclusion of women, the WTA, in this venture, does that mean that equal prize money is going to be a part of their directives? Because we know, and it's come from the mouths of the majority of these men, that they don't believe in equal prize money. They that don't. historically and recent history tells us that that's the case.
1: Equal prize money is is not on their list of founding principles. And so it's possible that Jabor, Bedosa, and Zhang, and Bethany have gotten into this with the acknowledgement that equal prize money is not an immediate goal of this organization. And, and maybe they're okay with that.
0: There isn't much to say here other than to keep our eyes and ears open going forward to see what's going to happen next, because... Outside of doing that, this is all just speculation. It's a, yeah. it's a positive step, I guess.
1: Can you believe how politically correct we were about that whole thing? I don't even make a single crack about Bethany.
0: About this, what we just talked about? Yeah. Well, you did kind of. You said, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that last one.
1: Yes, yeah, so, as in no comment is a comment? Yes, by omission.
0: It's a comment mm. by omission. Fill in in the blanks. You you do not get any points for that. Before we get into the draw analysis, because the draw came out last night, and spoiler alert, it's a dumpster fire for Rafa Nadal. (laughs) Before we get into that, let's preface it with a brief discussion of some of the players in the last few weeks who've had quote-unquote statement starts to the year. Alicia Parks had a statement ending to the year last year. So much so that she was ranked top 80, but still had to go through Australian Open qualifying because those points came too late past the cutoff mark to get a direct entry into the Australian Open.
1: She finished last year winning two straight 125 level titles. She cut her ranking in half to get to number 75. And as you said... She unfortunately missed the Australian Open main draw cutoff because it happened a bit too late. And then she lost in the second round of qualifying to Sarah Belli... They say bellick
0: on, on TV. Okay. Because uh, I watched that match. <laughs> That's what you're they gonna, say. You're
1: going to leave that in, eh? <laughs> me me stopping. Yeah. Yeah, I really didn't want to screw up her name. But uh, Sarah bellick from Czech Republic. Czechia, sorry. In a match where Alicia hit twice as many unforced errors as winners, and she hit a lot of winners.
0: 35 winners.
1: <laughs> so Alicia is still clearly a player to watch for the rest of the year. It is just so heartbreaking taking that long-ass expensive trip down to Australia and not making it. For anybody. Anybody in qualifying.
0: And when you lose in the second run of qualifying, you don't even get to potentially be a lucky loser. Right. And should have had a 1-4, a in four, well, Should have had a 50-50 shot as the top seed had she made the final round of qualifying.
1: Oh, interesting. On the women's side, a few of the players who've stuck out over the first few weeks and it's been a very short beginning to the season, obviously, Jesse Pagula. The United States wins United Cup. Jesse goes 4-1. Those four wins were statement wins. A lot of just very dominant sets. Uh convincing win over the world number one, Iga Świątek. That's, that's the big one, yeah. because she
0: demolished Iga Świątek in that match.
1: It, it was brief. These fast courts are going to be something that Jessie loves. I think she has a very high ceiling here, and Iga didn't have much of a chance to assert herself in that match. I, I always expect, even if it's like, you know, five love in the second set, that Iga is going to give herself a chance, and Didn't really happen there. She was devastated by the loss. I don't blame her. Like, you know, people like to make fun of her for crying over this loss because it's, like, not a real tournament or whatever. But she's the best because she wants to be the best. She knows she's the best. She wants to win every single match, every set.
0: She knows what her dominance means. (laughs) And, And that means that there's a lot of expectation. And so I imagine... There's a certain level of embarrassment that comes with, even if this is just the United Cup, being blown off the court by Jessie Pegula.
1: She is the number three player in the world. But I, I get what you're saying. Right. But you get to that point as
0: unquestioned uh, on number one, as holder of two slams currently, being by far and away the best player in the WTA Tour. Some 6,000 points better than anybody else. A loss like this is its going to sting because nobody expects it. And I'm sure, least of all, herself. And, and we, then when, if you buy in hook, line, and sync to this playing for country, blah, 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 blah. That's an added element of embarrassment. You know, because you right. feel like you've let your country down. Which, for me, is a...
1: It's a non-starter for you. Well, and, more than that, it's just a bag of shit. Oh, (laughs) But this is also what we demand of our champions, right? We expect our number ones, our dominant champions, to take every match seriously. We want her to go on the court and know that she's that girl. But when a loss stings so much that she cries on the sidelines, then people want to criticize that. I just, I don't like it. I want... I'll say it. Like, I want champions to go out there and say, like, I'm the best. And if uh, and if I don't win, that's good for you.
0: But I'm still the best. Right. I mean, people have different ways of reacting to losses like this. Somebody mm-hmm. like you might just start cussing and <laughs> flinging rackets and storming off the court and blowing off interviews, whereas
1: ego might cry about it. <laughs> I, you know, the reaction makes me think that some people have are just really uncomfortable with crying. Oh, for sure. It's not really something that phases me. It's totally normal. Anyway, Jessie Begula pockets a a cool $800,000 for leading her team to United Cup victory. She'll be one of the top contenders here. The Lindas are coming. The Frurvitovas, the Noskovas, the latter of which is who we're going to talk about right now. You've been watching Linda.
0: Yeah? Are you trying to put me on the spot to talk about her? Yes. She had a bunch of big wins. Saved match points in uh, matches nobody could stop her in Adelaide 1 until the final. When Sabalenka finally got the job done. Look at the,
1: I mean, the list of people she beat in Adelaide 1. After her two qualifying match wins, beats Dasha, Vika, and Anshapur. She
0: spends all that energy and time on court in Adelaide, making this fantastic run, to then have to turn around and play qualifying for the Australian Open. When Venus Williams pulled out, that's another thing. When Venus Williams pulled out, her wild card was then on offer for somebody else. It went to Kim Burrell, who is an Australian player, when it should have gone to Linda, and so. She was a shell of the person that she showed the week prior in qualifying, losing in the first round. And I think the tournament is worse off for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Can we talk about the fact that that lady's name is Kim Burrell? Or Kim Burrell. <laughs> I, I don't know how you say it. But Kim Burrell. Listen. Is I, it American gospel singer? Right. Most recently in the news for uh, shaming both gays and poor people.
0: hmm Listen. I resent <laughs> that you have spoken that name <laughs> on this show.
1: I didn't. The Australian Wildcard Committee did. Oh my god. Uh, the last player, well not the last player, but another player you need to watch as a serious contender for the title is Arena Saplanka, winner of Adelaide. She's a contender I feel like every year and she doesn't come in this year with the same sort of serving disaster that she did last year.
0: On the men's side, can
1: anybody beat Cam Nori? Three and
0: O in United Cup, beating Alex Diminar, Nadal, and Taylor Fritz, and now he's in the semifinals in mm, I want to say Adelaide, Adelaide, two. Adelaide, two? Two. Adelaide two? I think. Like the dude is the dude is legit. Um, horrendous to watch play,
1: but legit. That's not very nice. It is something I will never be able to get over. <laughs> The other contenders, obviously, I mean, we're not talking about all the contenders here, but other players who've done well in this first week or so. Novak Djokovic obviously wins the title in Adelaide, beating Australian Open runner-up last year, Deno Medvedev, pretty easily.
0: You could make the argument that Sebastian Corda should have won that final. Well, yeah, it, it was there for the taking. Because for large swaths of that final, Novak was a shadow of himself, and as he is wont to do... When push came to shove, he shoved.
1: <laughs> Courted, have Off a match. the court, he had a match point. Novak, I guess, has a hamstring injury. Um, we've been fooled before. I'm not even getting saying, to all that. I'm not saying that he's faking. I believe the injury is real, but
0: I'm just saying this is just people watching a practice and seeing what yes. happened, and he finished the practice 15 minutes earlier than normal. Mm. And here we go. Like Sim- this. I'm not participating in this.
1: No, similar to that, Emma Raducanu, you know, had this, uh, she rolled her ankle. In a practice a few days ago, she was not putting any weight on that left foot at all. And then today, she actually looked pretty good. and She didn't seem that hampered. So a lot of this is preventative. A lot of it is just being really cautious because it's an important tournament coming up. So we don't know. Who are the
0: other two? Taylor Fritz. I think at this point, on a hard court, we have to accept that Taylor Fritz is top five in the world.
1: Easy. Yeah. Yeah. He, like Jesse, went and one at United Cup, beat Zavarev, uh, beat Horkach and Matteo Baratini. Beat who? Well, I don't say his real name, so I pronounced it like a McEnroe. Oh my god. And Listen, that is
0: not... I understand not what better. you were doing there, but that's not a... <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's not a big deal. To beat that guy okay. right now. And Stefano Tsitsipas went 4-0, like Cam Nori was undefeated in United Cup. Their teams just kind of didn't get them to the finish line. But Tsitsipas beat Grisha, Goffin, Chorich, Berrettini. Quality wins.
0: Those are just a handful of players on either tour who've had standout starts to the year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Who are some of the players who will not be... In Melbourne playing the Australian Open. We mentioned that Alicia Parks won't be there. Linda Noskova won't be there. Venus Williams won't be there. Uh, on the last episode, I said that it looked toward the end of that match that she picked up a, a hamstring injury. And shortly afterward, maybe a couple days afterward, yeah. she pulled out of the tournament altogether. And so that that is not hopeful to me that it's a minor thing.
1: Right. The big one. I mean, we've buried the lead here. The big one is world number one U.S. Open champion Carlos Alcaraz, which was very surprising. Sustained an injury in practice to his leg and pulled out last week. It's a huge, huge blow to the tournament.
0: Marin Cilic, he who had a resurgent year last year, he is not going to be able to play in Melbourne. He had to pull out due to injury as well. Right now is when we go into the draw analysis, but let's skip ahead and do this, etc. Here for Mr. Alcaraz. <laughs>
1: yeah. oh, oh God, I don't want. I do because not, something happened. I don't want to be part of this discourse. I really Something don't happened
0: want to. in the last couple of days with Carlos, where you may make the argument that, <sighs> despite not being able to. Make any waves on court, he managed to stay in the conversation
1: often. (laughs) Calvin Klein released their newest photo spread with Carlos Alcaraz as the model, the underwear model. Mm -hmm. He's got billboards everywhere in New York. There's a massive
0: one in Times Square. Yeah.
1: It has created quite the discourse online. And at my big age, I just feel so not part of it. And that is okay. Because half of y'all feel that gays are pedophiles anyway, so like I'm, I have no interest. I rebuke no that because opinion. he's nineteen.
0: He's nineteen. <laughs> he's nineteen. There's, n- I rebuke. No, I that. mean
1: he's an adult. He's able to make his own decisions.
0: Yeah. I just feel he the- clearly fashions himself as a sex symbol because even before this, he was doing the most on his social media. Mm.
1: There's a lot of just weird discourse about consent and infantilizing that is is very weird to me. Like, he's old enough to make his own decisions. Now, if you don't like it, you don't like it. So just say that.
0: I feel like you're beating around the bush. What specifically are you trying to say? Because I'm not sure I fully understand oh. you.
1: Um, I am honestly afraid to talk about this at all. Because I don't want to be perceived in any way talking about a younger man's sexuality or body whatever, to be totally honest. I get that. And I'm
0: like, I'm not- But specific to what you were just saying, what is it that you were saying?
1: Well, there's, this is a part of tennis Twitter that I feel that I'm no longer a part of. I think there are a lot of people saying like, oh, this is gross. Like he should never have done that. Or he had bad management, bad advice. Somebody tricked him into doing this. Like the dude is 19. He's an adult. He decided for himself to do this. I mean, if you feel that underwear ads in general are exploitative, which they are, then that's a different conversation. People are going to
0: have a similar take regardless of age. You remember what L. John Wertheim said about Rafa Nadal <laughs> when he did his Tommy <laughs> hill figure story. And that
1: was, Rafa's over the hill and this is slutty and tawdry and beneath him. He wasn't even 30 years old. Right, but that was the argument at the time. I mean... For me... I don't care. Like, I literally do not care. It doesn't affect my life at all.
0: Right. But for me, it just didn't give what needed to be given. Oh, okay. For many reasons.
1: Well, I'm not going there. Like... I'm not touching that.
0: He didn't meet the moment. Wow. Um, For me. Okay. But more power to him. I... I'm impressed that he has this much confidence that he believes in himself as a marketable sex icon king of the world
1: you I know? mean I don't know if he said all
0: of that I, I mean it was doing a lot the whole campaign is doing doing a lot well, They always do You talked about how you know kids these days have perhaps perhaps a, more a more
1: Victorian I would say more conservative <laughs> relationship than, right
0: than I yeah. grew up with they right. have a more conservative relationship to sex perhaps and that's right? a
1: generalization a
0: generalization yeah but this dude is 19 and seems to have the opposite relationship to which him is, to which sex. is
1: funny because I felt very conservative when I found out about his tattoo that had the word cojones in it and I thought it was tacky that's very conservative of me right like mm-hmm. It is. Right, but where, when you were 19, how did you view things? Well, I certainly wouldn't have put that word on my body.
0: Right, I'm just saying that you were probably far more conservative at that age than maybe. you maybe think of probably. at the yeah. moment.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, well, this is a sex-positive podcast. That's it what I'm saying. If, he wants if to somebody put his, wants
0: to be a thought, they should be. If he wants to be a, put his cojones out there for the world to see, <laughs> let him do it. It is time to talk about the draws. The draws, starting with the women. We're going to be very quick with this. What are some of the first round matchups that stick out to
1: you? Iga didn't get the easiest draw. Opens against Niemeyer, quarterfinalist at Wimbledon last year. In the same section, we've got Andreeska Bozkova, which is a blockbuster first round. Yastrzemska Ostapenko. Mess. Siniakova, Coco Goth. Siniakova actually beat Coco in their most recent meeting at Billie Jean King Cup. There's Kostiak Anisimova. You told me today that Anisimova is injured. She had some cryptic tweet the other day that it just tells me that all
0: is not well there. And she also had a blowout loss in her first tournament of the year, 6-3-6-love. I think in Adelaide 1, before she yeah. won a couple
1: matches in Adelaide 2. Which is like... Australia is where Amanda should be making her money. Kenan Azarenka. Kenarenka.
0: Uh, That sucks for Vika because Kenan is looking more and more like Kenan of old. In Hobart, I think she is right now. She's in the semifinals. And when you look at that lineup, she is favored to win at this point, given how she's been playing. Mm -hmm. There's also, don't look past Sasnovich and Fruvitova. Brenda. Brenda. Is she the older one? No, Brenda is the younger one. Brenda saved all kinds of deficits in qualifying to make it through. Like this, this woman, this young woman, this girl—she's 15 years old—was down five. A set on five-one in one of her qualifying <laughs> matches. There is just no quit in her, and there is just a, a self-belief there that's crazy. Some
1: other first rounds: uh, Kirsteya Putintseva... Diane Perry, Taylor Townsend, both wild cards. Leila Fernandez versus Alizé Cornet, Two francophones. Alizé reached a career milestone last year at the Australian Open. Uh, that's rough. That is really rough for both of them.
0: Garbinia Muguruza opens against Elisa Mertens. And oh. <laughs> Camila Georgi against Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova
1: halves took almost the entire 2022 off to deal with an injury she's back we don't know what kind of form she's in camila could be prepping for a criminal trial we don't know uh but she's here
0: i mean you know that even if stuff is not going well she's going to show up to collect that check
1: Mm -hmm. much like another player in a blockbuster first round yes who two i think it was two years ago came down to Australia while on a drugs ban. Literally while banned. With hope against hope, the eternal optimist, that the ban would be overturned while she was in Australia.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, with this woman's draw, you've got Sviantek as the number one seed, Jabur as a number two seed. Jabur possibly carrying a little injury. We don't know for sure. In that top half... Sviantek is slated in the round of 16 to face Danielle Collins or Elena Rybakina. And then there's Badosa against Coco Goff. That is if Coco gets there, because this is a tough as hell first three matches for her. She's got to play, as you said, Sinyakov in the first round. Maybe Raducanu, if her ankle is properly healed in the second round before Zhang Wen in the third round. Somebody who also has injury concerns had to retire in her last match. And then, potentially, Bedosa in the fourth round, who is currently in the semifinals in Adelaide 2, playing very well.
1: Or Ostapenko. This is a really tough draw for Coco. And then, if she gets through all of that, she could face Iga in the quarters. Now, and
0: even if it's not Iga, Danielle uh Mohova like there that that first quarter is just full of landmines
1: oh man or Andreescu Bozkova Iga is probably I mean if I were Iga I would be hoping to meet Coco in the quarters because their head-to-head is definitive but Iga is as far as you can say a player as dominant as she is vulnerable I think she is slightly vulnerable here to a big hitter like Pagula or to Danielle Collins on a fast court like this. That's not to say that they will beat her, but last week shows that she can be beaten.
0: I know I tweeted earlier in this Australian summer that who is going to stop Iga Świątek? but it's not that unreasonable. We saw it happen with Pagula. The blueprint is there, especially like you said on this kind of fast court. Pagula is in Iga's half, so they would potentially play each other in the semifinals. She's made the quarters two years in a row in Australia. Her game seems tailor-made for this tournament. Her round of 16 opponent by seed is Petra Kvitova, who's had a couple of good outings so far in 2023. Madison Keys and Maria Sakari, those are the two highest seeds to fill out that top half. But then Madison (laughs) opens against Blinkova, in the third round, she might get Vika or Tom Tomljanovic or Kennan. And then there's Sakari in the fourth round or Jill Teichman. I will say that Madison is somebody to not overlook at this tournament. She's played well in Australia before. She played well at United Cup. We keep looking for Madison's big moment and why not
1: here? She has had really big moments in Australia before, many years ago. Beat Venus Williams here. Uh, played Serena tough. This is the kind of court that should work well for her game. is in there. Teichman is in there. But I do think that Pagula is just in pretty fearsome form.
0: Krejcikova does not look in good form.
1: No. You know, we have a whole year to make my pick come to fruition. You keep saying this. So...
0: <laughs> <laughs> she opens against Sarah Bellick in the first round two Czech players, Balak being the one who took out Alicia Parks. Yeah. I was shocked. I mean, I'd never... I mean, I'd heard of her before, but I'd never seen Balak play before. She does not look like a 16-year-old. She's very much giving 30-year-old Patty Schneider tease on that tennis court.
1: (laughs) Third quarter bookended by Dasha Kazatkina and Caroline Garcia. I don't know. I feel like you know, I always feel so unprepared for the Australian Open draw previews because so little has happened so far, <laughs> right? The players who you think are coming in injured are not, and vice versa. But if you go by what has happened so far,
0: Kasatkina is now in the semifinals. Semi-finals. In the semifinals. Kudimartova is in a semifinal, having just beaten Daniel Collins last night. Kontaveit is there in seed only. At the moment, because it hasn't looked good.
1: She was the number two seed at the US Open. A few months later, she's the number 16 seed.
0: Caroline Garcia had a terrible finish to the 2022 season. Suffered a loss last night to Belinda Bancic (laughs) in three sets. I've seen a lot of people pick Caroline to win this tournament. And I don't think that that's a terrible choice. I just don't know if... She's there yet on this surface.
1: Yeah, uh, it' not a terrible choice. I'm just n- one of those people who I'm not willing to pick someone to win who hasn't won a major before or hasn't come super, super close.
0: Well, you would have been shit out of luck in most
1: of the last four years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I would not have picked Raducanu before the 20-whatever U.S. Open. I mean, that's the least of it. We've seen a lot of first-time winners. <laughs> sure.
0: But I'm not going to put my money on it. The last quarter is highlighted by Sabalenka and Jabur. For my money, you could make the argument that the winner of this tournament comes out of that fourth round match between Sabalenka and Bencic.
1: Interesting. Well, it's definitely not going to be Bencic. So I guess you're picking Sabalenka to win the tournament? (laughs) I'm not picking anybody. I'm just
0: saying (laughs) that could be a pivotal match in this tournament.
1: It could. I feel like this is an interesting quarter. It's like it's not the most blockbuster quarter, but Sabalenka is coming in with a title. She has years at this point of hardcore experience. This would be a prime opportunity for her to break through. There's Hadad Maya, Samsonova, a uh Trevizan. Not my favorite. Uh,
0: Hadad but- Maya lost in two sets to Badosa last night. Two sets that totaled about seven hours. <laughs> uh, Bedosa looked so relieved to not have to play a third set last night.
1: Kaya Kanepi is a seed, so she will not be playing a seed in the first round, which is very dangerous. She will be playing gospel singer Kim Burrell. Stop with this. <laughs> Should she get through and that? Then she has Linda Fervitova
0: in the another second Linda. round. Yeah.
1: Ons did not play the Australian Open this uh, last year, but the Australian Open was the site of her first slam quarterfinal. Do you want to make any wild predictions here?
0: No, none whatsoever. Okay, me neither. I do think that Kuda Mertova is somebody to look out for as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: I also think that it is not a foregone conclusion that Iga Swiatek will win this tournament. I think the tournament is a lot more wide open than even I thought a couple weeks ago.
1: But, I mean... I believe that Iga is still the favorite by a pretty big margin. Because who else are you picking? You're picking people who have not done this before. Sabalenka, Pagula, Goff. I mean, who are the other likely contenders? Iga is still the favorite. Sure. By quite a bit.
0: I don't think it's by that as big as... Okay. I don't think it's as big as that. That's all. That's all I'm saying. On the men's side, we participated in the... Voluminous outrage over Rafa Nadal's draw last night. <laughs> I would call it the Draper hysteria. It, it didn't just end there, because he's got Nakashima, Mackie McDonald in the second round.
1: Potentially. Potentially. the uh, U.S. Open slayer, Francis Tiafo in the round of 16. Potentially. And, now, it gets worse,
0: right? And then Medvedev in the quarterfinals or Urkach, who he just lost in a two set practice match today too 7675
1: oh, last night it's a practice match okay, like how okay. how hard do you go
0: we are i am want to be all gloom and doom like there are a lot of things to be gloom and doom about
1: <laughs> what i think honestly what i think really sucks about this draw is that medvedev did not have a good enough season last year to be ranked in the top 4 So he, as the number seven, the runner-up of last year's Australian Open, is just a quarterfinal opponent for Nadal, the number one seed. That sucks. We have seen really horrible draws for Rafa open up. We've seen worse draws than this. He had a pretty, actually not a very difficult draw at the U.S. Open last year, and it didn't work out. So... Right, like, because he was
0: injured. Yeah. And we are unclear and about I'm... his injury status now. Right, There's just a lot of unknowns. But what I do know is that in this top half, I see a lot of people I don't want to see. <laughs> I see a lot of people yes. who've post a lot in the last couple of years. Felix Ojele-Sim is there. Cam Nori, who just beat him at United Cup. Yannick Sinner, who pr- promises to bust out at any given moment. Tsitsipas is there. Medvedev.
1: Tiafo, Korda is there you guys are all corrupt. Daniil Shapovalov is there, could be quarterfinal opponent. Yeah, it's tough. To me this is the more exciting court or more exciting half by a long shot.
0: Are you saying that there's a Grand Slam draw that was made where Novak Djokovic's path is on the easier side compared to everybody else's? Yeah,
1: I am saying that. I'm I'm shook. Yeah. I'm shook. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the first rounds we're looking at. This will be a lot shorter than the women's. Nadal Draper. uh, Giron Medvedev. um... Jason
0: Kubler and Sebastian Baez. Kubler getting the wild card into the Australian Open. Somebody I picked to break out this year. He's been playing well. That's a match you should be keeping an eye out for. A bit of news that happened yesterday. Ernesto Escobedo. He's no longer representing the United States. He is now playing for Mexico. Yeah. And he opens against Tara Daniel. Kyle Edmund, back in a Grand Slam main draw. He opens against Yannick Sinner. That sucks for Kyle. The Brits got a lot of terrible Oof. first-round draws. Well, Andy Murray opening against Matteo Berrettini. Jack Draper, who I picked as a breakup this year, opening against Nadal. Then there's, like I just said, Kyle Edmund opening against Yannick Sinner. The only one who really got a really
1: nice... First round is Cam Nori. Felix starts against his compatriot Vasek Pospisil, who is the interim president of the PTPA. I hope he beats his ass so bad. Oh, okay. Really, the first round on everybody's mind is Rublev versus Team. That's not
0: true. It's right really? up there with Mari Berrettini.
1: Fair, but okay. How do I say this diplomatically? Yes, I think Andy it's more stand a evenly matched. <laughs>
0: And if Andy does stand a chance, he'll give his all, play five sets, ten hours, and be spent for round two. Yes. We've seen this
1: before. Uh, The other Brit who has an okay first round is Dan Evans against Banyas. How wonderful for him. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just saying. Dimitrov versus Karatsev. Karatsev hasn't done a whole lot over the past year or so, but Australia is kind of his thing.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... By seed, let's run through how this should play out. Should play out, but almost certainly will not. Nadal, Tiafo round of 16. Urkach, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Sinner. Nori, Felix. That's the top half of the men's draw. Even before you get to Urkacz, Medvedev may have to play Korda in the third round. That is unfortunate for both men. Yeah. Tiafo yeah. having to play Hachanov in the third round. Nori having to play Chorich in the third round. And a round prior in the second round, you should uh, you should definitely look out for Stan Wawrinka playing Felix Auger-Aliassime. Korkac, Chapo could be a third round. On the bottom half, we don't know what to expect from Hulgarun at this tournament because we haven't seen much
1: of it. A top 10 seed. It still shocks me to see that. A number 9 next to his name. But he could run into Cressy in the second round.
0: Or Nick Kyrgios in the third round. And then Andre Rublev or
1: Dominic Thiem in the fourth round. Right. And to me, okay. Like, if Nick is feeling like, I'm on a roll, I've got the crowd behind me, serve is working. If the numbers come in from the debut
0: of Breakpoint (laughs) and Episode 1 breaks all kinds of records for
1: Netflix... He may feel like I am king of the world. If Breakpoint finally beats Wednesday Adams on Netflix, it's all over. Nick is winning this tournament, but he could face Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals, and I just I don't see it, girl. Who oh, curious? Yeah, he still has a lot of winning uh, to, there's do to a lot even of, get there. Yes, I agree. Uh, Novak Djokovic could face his nemesis. Especially on hard courts. Pablo Carreño Busta, who's been the, uh, the responsible party to a lot of heartache for Novak
0: mm.
1: uh, <laughs> in the round of 16.
0: Taylor Fritz against that guy. And I'm going to tell you, despite how insipid his draw is, he has the easiest path of any top 16 seed to the fourth round.
1: Yes. You're talking about the number 12 seed. The number
0: 12 seed. And I still would be shocked if he got there. So that guy against Taylor Fritz, RBA against Casper Rud at the very bottom of the draw.
1: Or, well, Berrettini is the seeded player. Oh, I totally overlooked Matteo there, didn't <laughs> wow. I? Wow. Wow. You picked the 24 over the 13, right? I, I don't know what I was doing there, but yeah, that's an oversight. Yeah. Now, th- these are not predictions, right? We're, we're just literally listing out the seeded players. But a few other... Early round matches that could be super interesting. J.J. Wolf versus Jordan Thompson in the first round. The winner of that could face Diego. Could make life very difficult for Diego. And if you think the winner of that little tiny section could face the returning that guy. This you, is what I'm saying. Right, You it's... could see a very surprising round of 16. A surprising quarterfinalist from there. And at this tournament, I don't think there's any
0: tournament on earth that catalyzes homegrown talent more than the Australian Open. Exactly. So if there's an open road in a draw in Australia for an Australian player, look for them to take it. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's like that's why I mentioned mustache. You know, Ben Shelton has a pretty light yes, first round, does, yeah. right? He could, and he drew. Let's say he gets to the second round, drew a seed in Ketsmanovich. Could be more difficult. Kokonakis versus Fornini first round. It's going to be messy regardless.
0: Right. I mean, I know there's a lot of goodwill built up toward Kokonakis because of all the injuries he's gone through. And I have wished him well for many years now. But I just can't abide the buddy-buddy-curious thing anymore. Like That's a serious strike for me. The bro-bro, frat-bro-bro-bro-yo thing, like, not into it. Like, I'm not invested.
1: No, I mean, I'm not totally invested, off that train. but he, he plays well in Australia. Yes, he's playing well right he's now. He's in the semifinals. Pretty much, I mean, the only place.
0: I'm supposed to be the messy one.
1: Okay. Um. So, Novak has uh, a few speed bumps. But nothing truly shocking. This is not a difficult draw by his standards. He before the tournament, even given the most difficult draw, Novak Djokovic is far and away the the easy pick yeah. for winning this tournament. I mean, you it doesn't about, even
0: matter what his draw is. You talked about Iga being the runaway pick on the women's side. Triple that, well, for Djokovic or, here, like the man has not lost or
1: nine times that. He like he's won lost, nine
0: times. He has not lost in Australia since. Young Chung beat him many moons ago.
1: Yeah, since the appeals court in 2022.
0: (laughs) I saw somebody refer to him as the deported today. (laughs) That took me out. I was so upset that I didn't think of it first. (laughs) Okay. Three final things to say about this men's draw. Given 80 to 90% health, Nadal can get through this draw. He can make it even to the final. It's not unheard of. The serve is going to be a big deal. Is he still hindered by the ab situation? We have to see how it plays out. Taylor Fritz, absolutely one of the favorites for this title on the men's side. And Novak Djokovic, he has no equal at this tournament. No, no, no. And so injury or him getting in his own way are the only things that would stop him in my mind at this tournament. The final bit of this episode is a pop culture diversion. We were inundated with fewer and outrage over the most recent Rolling Stones list of greatest singers in history. <laughs> if you recall, their first attempt landed Christina Aguilera some 20 spots ahead of Mariah Carey. Yes, like that was that was absurd.
1: I I'm old enough to remember the first list. I the first list did not make this kind of waves on social media. But I remember. So my expectations were extremely low, and I actually felt like this list was by their standards pretty good, except for a number of and I say by their by their standards. You recall how Bob Dylan placed on the first list? Christina I do remember. It was a marked improvement. Right. It was is the, what I'm saying. The biggest... So my expectations were zero. They've got Mariah at number
0: five now. The They had Whitney at like 30 or 40
1: in the first one. Ridiculous. Like, they were... They didn't promote it correctly. Like, they were making some kind of most distinctive sounds of the rock and roll era. Rather than actually the best singers. They failed on, on both counts. The first time but you know Rolling Stone and many rock publications were so skewed in favor of traditional rock music were so anti-hip-hop r and actually even more so R&B because they came around on like what they view as cerebral hip-hop they're so dismissive of R&B and especially female-led genres like pop who made number one this time was it still Aretha? It was correct. Yes.
0: So Aretha, number yes. one both times. I mean, for how bad the first one was, I was kind of surprised that Aretha was number one. Right. Now, the main reason why this took off on social media was because Celine Dion was omitted from the 200... 200. 200, 200 <laughs> greatest singers of all time. That is such a slap in the face and even more abhorrent given that she just announced what could be a career-ending diagnosis.
1: It's also, it's just very silly. It's like a very obvious provocation, because even if you don't like the type of music she makes, to say that she's not among the best 200 vocalists of the pop era is patently ridiculous. And I will say, like, I don't have any Celine records I don't bump Selena on the regular, but like she can sing down. Whitney knew it. Aretha knew it. Everybody knows it. I don't know that Aretha knew it. Aretha may not have liked it, (laughs) but she knew it.
0: (laughs) We've come up with 25 singers each. We have not seen the others' list. We're going to exchange phones and Google documents right now. We are? Yes, I told you this was how it was. Yet another instant. okay, Okay. Where you don't listen to me, James. Mm. Among many. (laughs) Before we do that, though, what is your breakdown of women to men?
1: I have six men on my list. Oh, well, I'm going to have to count. Okay, well, now you're going to find out that I did not follow the assignment. How many did you put? I don't have a full 25. How many do you have? I didn't want to like water down the list. Oh my God. I have 22. Because also this is an oral medium. The, the children don't want to listen to 15. We're not going to give a
0: dissertation you know, on everybody.
1: I'm leading okay, this segment. I'm two. just saying I have 22. And I
0: prepared for this segment to make it swift. Sure.
1: I have 22 and eight of them are men. Okay. Well Therefore, something, well, some amount of them are women.
0: Let's switch now. I will say that I struggled with this in that I had to couple my perception of greatest voice mm-hmm. with what people are able to do with that voice, and part yes. of that is part for me. Part of being a great singer is what your singing makes me feel, mm-hmm. and so while some people might not have the most traditionally strong voice because oftentimes greatest is conflated with power yes it's a mix of both for me okay first of all let me look through this little 22 person list here that you've got and see if there's anybody that i did not have and right now i see four five six seven eight 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 of mine mm-hmm. yeah yeah So there's going to be a little bit of difference here. Is there anybody on my list that you're like,
1: um, excuse me? No, no, definitely. Like, definitely not any people who shouldn't be there. It's just people that I didn't name.
0: Did you consider them?
1: Be honest. Um, Not everybody. But now I'm looking at your list and I do see a few significant oversights on my part. Such as? I... If I could do this all again, I would have put Linda Ronstadt mm-hmm. on my list, and I would have added Kelly.
0: Oh, you didn't have Kelly Clarkson? I didn't,
1: no. And I mean, we're talking about like the entire rock era, like from the fifties forward. Sure, I'm just saying Kelly's and,
0: her output alone on her TV show.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know what? Like she's doing stuff on a syndicated talk show. That's adding to her legacy. That's wild. And I actually... I didn't put Jennifer Hudson on my list. And I probably would. Like I probably... I put sh- Jennifer Hudson?
0: Yeah. Oh, that was actually an oversight on my part.
1: Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
0: no! Um, I just still think that Jennifer can't overcome her worst tendencies vocally. Because so when she We're she's- talking
1: about like... If we're talking about power, talent... Like, she can blow mm-hmm. better than almost anyone ever in the pop era. Yeah. But it's the the colors.
0: Yes. Right? The, the, the restraint. Does she paint with all the colors of the wind? <laughs> You'll note that there is no Christina Aguilera on my list. And I think Surely as time not. goes Surely on, not. her candidacy will become all the more untenable. I agree. Because... Just the other day, I watched a minute and a half video of her singing. And I swear to you, I could not tell if this was parody or reality. The line between the two was one on top of the other. It was,
1: it was unbelievable. I think, uh, you know, first of all, there's a technique issue with Christina. But also I I do feel and I don't mean this to be shady at all. I feel there's an authenticity issue. An authenticity issue that Kelly Clarkson knocks out of the park. Yes. Even like even if you don't even feel Kelly's at that level of a vocalist as, you know, the the Supremes. Mm. And by Supremes I mean Aretha, Mariah, Whitney and Celine. There's a there's an authenticity level. I'm a bit taken aback that what? you've put Miss Dion
0: in the same category of, yeah, I Celine Dion. I said Miss oh, Dion. Oh, I think that cousin. you just I casually put Dionne. the Supremes <laughs> and had Celine in
1: the same breath. Well, you always talk about the Trinity is <laughs> Whitney, is three Maria, Mariah, and Celine. Oh, no, excuse me. I thought the modern Trinity was Mariah, For Whitney, some people, and Celine.
0: Well, yeah, that's undis- on oh, the nineties okay. forward, but historically, my. Oh sure. To Trinity me, is Aretha Mariah Whitney. I'm saying to that me, Aretha, she doesn't belong in the same category. Aretha
1: is part of like a monotheistic faith faith. She doesn't exist in a Trinity.
0: <laughs> I don't know what you're doing right now, but I'm just pushing back okay. on you putting Celine with the other three. That's all.
1: My, my only point is that when I talk about like the best singers, I'm looking for not only the voice, like the raw materials, I'm looking for authenticity. And I can tell how you've built your list that you're looking for the same thing. Oh, well. And
0: I will add to your point about Christina. When you have these white
1: singers,
0: (laughs) these white pop singers. Invariably, for them to go from universally loved to historically revered to get into that that all-time great level. You're going to have to at least dabble in black music. You're going to have to sing black music in a certain way where it's authentic.
1: Right. Christina dabbles in black music, but is it... That's my point. It doesn't
0: come off. Right. Kelly can do it. She can tiptoe through any genre and make it her own. Or at least give a credible performance out of it, you know? Mm. celine struggled with that too in her career and for me that's where she is a notch below because treat her like a lady river deep mountain high those are distinctly white versions of black songs and that's fine Mm -hmm. that's fine i'm just saying she doesn't have the full range of like the great greats but to leave her off of a top 20 list is absurd, let alone a top 200. Yeah,
1: it's just a lie. I mean, I don't like what Celine did at Divas Live at all. No. I felt it verged into ridicule. And so did Mariah. Uh, but technically, what she did was super impressive.
0: D- yes. Right. Christina doesn't even have the technicality.
1: No. no. So do, let me just. Should, should we trade back and like sure. read our lists or. Okay. For me, my top 10 is pretty firm. Like, it's not in order outside of the top 10. But my top 10 is Aretha, Mariah, Whitney, Celine, Donny Hathaway. Donny Hathaway, the first male artist I've listed, the best vocalist of, in my my view, the best male vocalist of the 20th century. Even more so than Stevie Wonder. Yes. Followed by Stevie Wonder, Sam Cooke. Luther Vandross, Beyonce, and Anita Baker. I feel really good about mine. My top ten.
0: I don't have a top ten. I mean, I have a top three. But outside of that, it's just all people I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Did you put Luther on your list? I just said he's in the top ten. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've got Mariah Whitney, Aretha, Stevie, Anita Baker, underrated Anita Baker. Yep. Kelly Clarkson, Celine Dion, Donny Hathaway, Patti LaBelle, Luther Vandross, Gladys Knight, Dionne Warwick, Don't Sleep on Cousin Dion. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand, Sam Cooke, Donna Summer, does not I, um, get near the call. recognition that she deserves. George Michael. Yeah, he was on my list too. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Shaka Khan. Beyonce, Fantasia. Now, Fantasia Barino, this woman is supremely talented. Mm -hmm.
1: I almost feel like Fantasia suffers from not being from the right era. Yeah. Like she, you know, she would be one of the greats. Like, had she she made music in the 60s and
0: 70s? If she released When I See You in the early 90s, (laughs) it could have been Mm -hmm. game over. Yeah. (laughs) And then. I've got Patsy Cline, Dolly Parton, Roberta Flack, Linda Ronstadt, and Bob Marley. I meant to go back to this list and take Jennifer Hudson out and put in one of <laughs> Peeble Bryson
1: or Ooh. James Ingram. That's
0: what I meant to do. Okay.
1: So outside of my top ten, just outside, is Barbara. It's really um, it's confusing like where to place someone like Barbara because she's not... Uh, I mean, like, yeah, she was a pop singer, but she was also a Broadway singer. Um, Somehow she feels like a little bit outside of time. And that's also why I didn't put Judy Garland on here. I didn't put Frank Sinatra on here, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald. Like, those are Supremes, but it feels of a different era to me.
0: To be honest, I have a deficit of knowledge when it comes to jazz Mm. and blues. So I don't feel equipped to opine on that. Mm. And I did not include gospel singers because
1: not my bag right so I've got Barbara Gladys Knight Jasmine Sullivan Freddie Mercury George Michael Michael Jackson Mavis Staples can we take a pause for Mavis Staples here Brandy Norwood Dusty Springfield Mm -hmm. Marvin Gaye Ann Wilson and Patti LaBelle Uh, uh, Patti LaBelle is suspiciously low on that list but guess what she's on it Mm -hmm. and I don't recall seeing Gladys on yours
0: I, she oh, sure wait,
1: is. Is. She, <laughs> is she on yours? Okay. yeah, she is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Tabata. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our diversion. I uh, I had to say something. Like I wasn't perturbed by the Rolling Stone list, but they need to be um, corrected.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a whole. Where ass, is Donny Hathaway? A whole ass Please. mess. Where was he in that list? He was on there, but pretty friggin' low. Mm.
0: Well, thank you for listening to our Australian Open preview, episode 2 of season 9, TBS number 288. Thank you to everybody who's contributed to our GoFundMe thus far. We will be leaving it open till the end of the Australian Open, and so that'll be a couple days after the tournament ends. We'll just shut it down. In the meantime, if you've contributed 75, 150, or 250... Essentially, 75 and above. <laughs> Please send us your addresses. Uh, we've got stuff to do.
1: Uh, right. There are things other than postcards. We'll be in touch. Uh, yeah. was not a figment of your imagination, but we had to take it down.
0: My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John.
1: And I'm James at Elliot
0: Two L's, two T's. You can find the body serve at linktree.com slash the body serve a simple google search will do you just as well thanks for listening till next time
1: thank you thank you very much